Your testimonies are wonderful, therefore my soul keeps them. The unfolding of your words gives light. It imparts understanding to the simple. If I open my mouth and pant, because I long for your commandments, turn to me and be gracious to me, as is your way with those who love your name. Keep steady my steps according to your promise, and let no iniquity get dominion over me. Redeem me from man's oppression, that I may keep your precepts. Make your face shine upon your servant, and teach me your statutes. My eyes shed streams of tears, because people do not keep your law. Those are verses 129 to 136 of Psalm 119, verses 121 to 144, of which are the psalm appointed for today, Wednesday, September the 28th, 2022. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm your host, John Green. Thanks for being along today. I appreciate it. We are continuing our look at the book of Hosea today in chapter 4, verses 11 to 19, and then in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 5, verses 27 to 39, and then the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 21, verses 15 to 26. <clears throat> so, uh, remember now what's happened with Hosea is, is that he has married this woman, and, and the way she's described is a wife of whoredom, and he would have a children of whoredom, and, and yet what, we've, what we really have to conclude is that that has nothing to do with her as a personal uh, statement. It's not about her being a prostitute. It's, it's something far different than that. It, it's because the nation has gone astray and, and they have acted um, at, as though they were prostitutes. It's hard to say that word, not prostitute, the other option. Uh, so I'm just not going to. So anyway, um, the... It's the nation has gone astray, and they have hoard themselves out, let's say, with other gods. And so it's just the way that, that the Lord's using to describe this. Um, so the, the, the reading today actually starts in an odd place, so I'm going to back up and, and start in chapter 10, verse 10. I mean, they shall eat but not be satisfied. They shall play the whore but not multiply, because they've forsaken the Lord to cherish whoredom, wine, and new wine, which take away the understanding. My people inquire of a piece of wood, and their walking staff gives them oracles. I mean, God's being really sarcastic with these statements, right? So, so they've gone away in these distinct ways with whoredom and wine and new wine. And remember in that um, the psalm that I read today, my eyes shed streams of tears because people do not keep your law. You know, th- again, this is the way that, that we should feel particularly about those who are in the covenant community that we're in, whenever we see brothers and sisters falling into sin and going astray. So the, uh, this spirit of whoredom has led them away, and they have left God to play the whore. They sacrifice on the tops of the mountains and burn offerings on the hills under oak, poplar, and terebinth because their shade is good. Nope, there are places appointed for these sacrifices, and they're not to be done in these other places. It, there's one place, because God is one. And so you worship him in the place he chooses, not on the high places, not on all those things. That That's where they thought that you worshiped. You would get closer to God by going into those high places. In the, in the same way that the people in Babel tried to build the tower into the heavens so that they could make a name for themselves in the, in the heavens. What what they don't see here is, is the imminence of God, the transcendence of God is the only thing they've got. And so what they've got is a Baal who is unapproachable, completely unapproachable. Um, and, and yet they're appealing to this thing that, that is nothing. It's no God at all. And they're worshiping in the ways they choose. 
Therefore, your daughters play the whores and your brides commit adulteries. I won't punish your daughters when they play the whore, nor your brides when they commit adultery. For the men themselves go aside with prostitutes and sacrifice with cult prostitutes, and a people without understanding shall come to ruin. So what he's saying is, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna fuss at your uh, the women folk, <laughs> let's say, because they they do the same things that they see the men doing, and and because cult prostitution was a big part of Baal worship, because as I've said this before, the the whole point of Baal worship, it, he's a fertility god, and so when you want fertility, when you want rain, for instance, then then what you need is for Baal to have sex with his consort Asherah, and then that would then provide rain. Like I said, that's what it is. It's bale sperm. So it's rain, which which fertilizes the earth. And so what you do, it's called sympathetic magic, is is, is that um, it's like apparently Bale likes to watch porn, that he, he gets, he, he appreciates it. And so he's more likely to perform if if he sees you performing, so Baal apparently is, is is the first porn addict. So that's that's exactly what God's saying here is is that look, I'm not going to punish your women who are doing nothing different than the men. Though you play the horo Israel, let not Judah become guilty. So the northern kingdom is guilty, but let's hope that the southern kingdom, Judah, doesn't do the same. He says, enter not into Gilgal, nor go up to Bethaven and swear as the Lord lives here. Like a stubborn heifer, Israel is stubborn. Gilgal and Bethaven are two of the places that that are important in Israelite history. And so that's that's why he says, don't go there and swear as the Lord lives, because that's just nonsense at this point, given what you're doing. Like a stubborn heifer, Israel is stubborn. Can the Lord now feed them like a lamb in a broad pasture? So if you're going to be a stubborn heifer, that I can't feed you like a lamb in a broad pasture. You're not acting like one of my sheep. You're acting like something terribly difficult, different from that. Ephraim is joined to idols. Leave him alone. When their drink is gone, they give themselves to whoring. Their rulers dearly love shame. Ephraim is another word for that northern kingdom. So their, their de- rulers dearly love shame. And, and why does God say that? What, what is the proof of that? And the proof is, is that, that they continue to practice shameful things. A wind has wrapped them in its wings, and they shall be ashamed because of their sacrifices. In other words, they're, they're chasing after the wind. And ultimately, what they're going to discover is they're going to be ashamed of those sacrifices because they fail to provide anything at all. It's just wasted time and effort because it's meaningless because the God that it's directed to is meaningless. They have forsaken the Lord their God. And, but, and yet, as we saw, that he is... Um, his desire is to woo them back to himself. In spite of their apostasies and in spite of their adultery, spiritual adultery, he has chosen to say, I, I want to do good to them, and I will bring them back to myself. In the gospel, after this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi. He's just called, remember, he's just called the fisherman to himself. He saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. And now this is certainly a provocative choice for the next person. I mean, first, you've got these guys who all know each other. And to the extent that they would have any knowledge of Levi slash Matthew, well, it wouldn't be the kind of knowledge that would make them want to make him a part of the apostolic or the discipleship group at this point. It's nobody signed up (laughs) to hang out with a tax collector. And to make it worse... 
Levi made a great feast in his house, and there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with them. Now, tax collectors were despised, and Jewish tax collectors were despised more than anybody else. They were essentially collaborators with the Romans, which would make them akin to collaborators with the Nazis, as far as the, the Jews of that time were concerned. So the, the, the fact that they, that they didn't just you know, sort of use uh, the, the Roman economy in order to profit, but instead they collaborated with the Romans to make the Jews' life worse. And the way they would do that is they would overvalue things. I mean, the way you get rich in that world as a tax collector is to overvalue the personal property of uh, the, the subjects under your taxing authority because it was a tax primarily on personal property. And so I've said this before, in the, um, the movie The Christmas Story is based on a book. And if you go and read that book, what you'll see is, is that, that Ralphie is the narrator. And the, so it, it, it's Gene Shepard is the guy's name. But, so, but what happened was in that part of Indiana, at least at that time, what would happen is, is that your personal property was taxed on a pretty regular basis. And so the tax person would come out and they would look at the stuff that you had. They would value it in the same way that you do with cars here in North Carolina, for instance. And, and that, that would be the assessed value. You'd pay some percentage of that as a tax. So it, it, it's, it's the accumulation of wealth that's being taxed as it goes along. And so the way, the, the way that it worked was you, you said, okay, I want to be a tax collector. Okay, what do you do? Okay, so you go make a bid on, on this area. And you say, I think this area would be worth this much from a tax perspective. And so you give that money to Rome as your uh, fee, your franchise fee, let's say. And then what you do is you go out and you value everything on an individual basis. Well, there's every uh, reason in the world, if profit is the motive, there's every reason in the world to go out and overvalue every single bit of that stuff because everything over what you pay Rome is your money. So that they were not well-liked at all. And any kind of wealthy tax collector was particularly despised. It explains the whole situation with Zacchaeus, and we're not going to meet him for another, I don't know, 14 chapters or something like that before we actually get to Zacchaeus. But um, there, Zacchaeus, when he converts, what does he do? He offers to pay back anything he's ever owed and anything he's ever cheated people out of and all that. So now, going forward, it's not really just the paying back part that's important here. It's the going forward part because Zacchaeus is now going to be honest. So everybody's going to be paying less tax because Zacchaeus converted. He's going to, it, it, lives are going to get better in Jericho because of the conversion of Zacchaeus. So here what we get is, is Matthew coming to follow. And again, I'm going to say this. If you haven't watched The Chosen, I highly recommend it. They, they do this Matthew character really well, I think. So, he, so anyway, they're having this huge feast with a bunch of tax collectors, Jesus and the disciples at Matthew's house. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled at his disciples saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And their thought was probably, that's a really good question. We didn't sign up for that. We don't, we don't really know what we're doing here. I mean, they're brand new in this thing, and they certainly never expected that, that this is where they would be. And Jesus answered them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So he's pointing at them, and the deal is tax collectors knew (laughs) they couldn't hide from their sins. They could change, but they couldn't hide from it because they weren't welcome anywhere in Judaism. They couldn't go to the temple. They wouldn't even—nobody would like these people. Nobody would want to have anything to do with them, and and it would be because 
of what they did for a living and in their sin and their shame they could they could rationalize it i'm certain but but their sin stayed with them and so when jesus says that here it's not even offensive in some ways because it's who they are and they said to him the disciples of john they the pharisees said to him the disciples of john fast often and offer prayers and so do the disciples of the pharisees but yours eat and drink i mean it's an odd slamming together of the Pharisees and the disciples of John. I mean, these, these people don't like one another. The, the Pharisees couldn't stand the disciples of John. They wouldn't have liked, they didn't like John. They weren't sure what to make of him. And they didn't, they, they certainly weren't following him. So they said, well, at least we've got that in common with the disciples of John, is, is that at least we all fast at the same time and we all pray at the same time. But yours, you don't seem to observe any of this ritual fasting stuff. And Jesus said to them, can you make wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? Well, that's a pretty big statement. That's a really big statement, in fact. When he calls himself the bridegroom, he is clearly laying out for himself who he is. He's, he's saying that I'm the one. <clears throat> the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them. Then they will fast in those days. And then he told a parable. No one wears a piece. He told two, actually. No one tears a piece of cloth from a new garment and puts it onto an old garment. If he does, he'll shrink. He'll tear the new, and the piece from the new will not match the old. He's got to pre-shrink it. Is the bottom line because you, you don't it, it, the, the, when you wash it you know in any way shape form or fashion it's it's going to tear the new one when it when you do because it's going to shrink and it's not going to match because it's not faded it's not worn like the old one and no one puts new wine into old wise wine skins if he does the new wine will burst the skins because the skins have already been stretched and now what you've got is during the fermentation process it's going to expand and then it's going to explode and it'll be spilled, and the skins will be destroyed. But new wine must be put into fresh wine skins. And no one, after drinking old wine, deserves new, for he says the old is good. And of course it is. The, the older wine is always the better wine. The Nouveau Beaujolais is not as good as the, the older vintages, but there's a, there's a special goodness to the Nouveau Beaujolais. It, it doesn't mean that it's not good. They wouldn't sell it and offer it <laughs> otherwise but it's not as good as the older wine the stuff that is that is well aged and so that jesus is speaking about those things here and and saying you you the there's a new thing here and you can't treat it the same way as you treat the old thing things are changing you may not like it but things are changing this is the way that it's going to be and so he's announcing the coming of the kingdom in a fresh way with him. And then in the uh, Acts passage today, Luke tells us, after these days we got ready and went up to Jerusalem. And some of the disciples from Caesarea, they'd been in Caesarea, remember there, visiting with Philip, the deacon, from Acts 6. Some of the disciples from Caesarea went with us, bringing us to the house of Nassan of Cyprus, an early disciple with whom we should lodge. When we had come to Jerusalem, the brothers received us gladly. On the following day, Paul went in and with us to James, and all the elders were present. So, so the disciples were all there. The leaders of the church in Jerusalem were there. <clears throat> and after greeting them, he related one by one the things that God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And when they heard it, they glorified God. So, so they were happy to hear about the success Paul had had in winning converts among the Gentiles. And they said to him, you see, brother, how many thousands there are among the Jews of those who have believed? They're all zealous for the law. So you see all these Jews who are here in Jerusalem now. Remember, they're there at, uh, for Pentecost. And so, so they say, you see all these Jews here. You see all this group of people who are 
who are now considering themselves Christians who were formerly Jews. So that's, that's who we've been ministering to. They're all zealous for the law. And they've been told about you that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or walk according to our customs. Huh. You teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or walk according to our customs. I I don't think that, that that was what he was teaching the Gentiles. I think he was very clear about what he taught those Jews who were among the Gentiles. I think what he what he talked about had more to do with that that stuff won't get you into the kingdom. That the that the keeping of the law, the the Mosaic law, and and circumcising your children, a walk according to the quote customs, and that would be the rituals, and that that would be all of the Mosaic law. It doesn't mean that that we throw out the Ten Commandments or we throw out sexual ethics because we've already spoken about those things. There's certain parts of the Mosaic law that are considered to be important uh, for the Gentiles to keep. He's not telling everybody to forsake the law. He's telling them that just won't save you. That, that there, he's, not, he's not condemning the law in any shape, form, or fashion. He's condemning the way they treat the law as though it saved them. And he has said Jesus supersedes all of that. But that doesn't mean that you throw the baby out with the bathwater. But he does tell them, look, we don't have to keep those days. He, he spoke about that with the people in Corinth. Some people esteem one day more than another. Some people don't eat this. Some people don't eat that. And so he's saying that, that you don't have to keep all those things. And, and it's, it's so that they can come in. And, and that he's not telling the Jews there to forsake the Mosaic Law. He's, he's trying to put it in its proper place. That's all he's done. And he said, these things won't save you. But he hasn't said it's not commendable. That's the, the goofy thing, is, is that now what he's saying is rely on the Holy Spirit to lead you into all truth. But that truth's not going to conflict <laughs> with the prior word of God. So he, he's saying that the customs and everything can go away, but, but we still believe that the law, the, the, the ethical law, has force and has value. Jesus taught that it did. So he couldn't possibly have taught that the Mosaic law as a whole was meaningless. But anyway, that, that, so th- they've said, we've got a problem because these, these people here have been told that you teach the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake all this stuff. So what's to be done? They'll certainly hear that you've come. I mean, can't you guys set the record straight? Can't you just let Paul talk and say, this is what I teach? This is exactly what I teach and how I teach it? Do therefore what we tell you. We have four men who are under a vow. Take these men and purify yourself along with them and pay their expenses so that they may shave their heads. Thus, all will know that there's nothing in what they've been told about you, but that you yourself live in observance to the law. Now, all they could have said was, oh, that's right, didn't Paul take a vow not too terribly long ago and have to deal with that? He had to go to a synagogue and deal with the, the ending of the vow, that period of the vow. He had taken the vow publicly, therefore he had to, to finish the vow in a public way. But here, no, that, that we just need you to be a witness to them, see that you'll follow along with the with the process uh, in this way but as for the gentiles who have believed we've sent a letter with our judgment that they should abstain what sacrificed idols from blood what's been strangled from sexual immorality same thing that they told them in in uh, acts 15 where the jerusalem council met and they sent the the elders out to antioch to commit uh, this to them 
So he's saying, you're going to do one thing to appease the Jews. You're going to take these guys who took this vow, and you're going to take them down there, and you're going to deal with that So in public so that all the Jews here who have become Christians can see that that's exactly what you believe in. But as far as the Gentiles, we're going to so there's two classes in some ways of Christians as far as they see it in Jerusalem. And then Paul took them in. He did what, he, what they asked him to do. He took them in, and the next day he purified himself. In other words, he went and made the sacrifices and all that kind of stuff, and went into the temple, giving notice when the days of purification would be fulfilled and the offering presented for each of them. So he, he's, he did everything that they asked him to do. So sometimes what we have to do is, is kind of bend over backwards to prove things to people and to show things to people. And, and, but sometimes we, we need to, to say no frankly. We need to say that that's a misrepresentation. I mean, I've certainly been in situations where people misunderstood something that I said, or I said something badly, typically, that, that wasn't as clear as it ought to have been and opened itself up to misinterpretation. There have been certainly other times in my life when I've said things that were very clear that were cert- suddenly misinterpreted. Fortunately, we always taped everything. But, but it, it can be a problem. And then people ask you to do this, that, and the other thing. Within the Anglican world, it can be easily be the same thing. Well, we need you to do this. Okay, so today I want you to wear this and do this and blah, 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 blah. So no sometimes needs to be the answer to that. No, this is what I'm doing. It's not sinful. And, and I haven't done what I've been accused of doing, so I'm not going to play the game. I'm not going to do something just to assuage someone else's conscience. As long as my conscience is clean, I'm going to be okay. And that's exactly what Jesus said here at the home of Matthew, because the Pharisees would have it that they would do this, that, and the other thing, and, and they wouldn't be here with these um, these tax collectors. But but the, the, all we have to do is we have to make sure our conscience is clear and clean before the Lord, and that we know that we haven't transgressed. And then we we can say no in that way, to people asking us to prove something that need not be proven. 